You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Okay. Welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater. And I'm Daniel Janine, a producer at Eater. Uh, Amanda Clute, this week we are talking to a good friend of ours, the senior critic of Eater New York, Robert Sietzma. That is right. Uh, Robert loves restaurants maybe more than anyone I know, and I love the way he writes about and visits restaurants, which is means he's very democratic. He's always hungry, you know, we'll just always be sniffing around for a new place to eat. Uh, and he's the type of person who would seem to go particularly nuts being trapped inside during a quarantine. He's the kind of person like there are so many people who you say or I'll say or someone will say, hey, I had this thing, you know, that you might like or that I think you'd really like. It's here. It's, you know, 20 minutes away on the sub or whatever. You should go try it. So many people are like, yeah, for sure. That sounds really good. And then they'll never try it. They'll never. People no. only want to try, try the things that they have decided are good for them independently. Whereas Robert, I know it's his job, but he'll text you 45 seconds later being like, what was that place you wanted me to try in Flushing or whatever? And then he will write it down and then he will go. He will go. Yeah. He's the most adventurous eater I've ever met. Not because of what he eats, though he will eat anything except brains. But Only because he doesn't like them, though. He, yeah, because he doesn't like them. He will go anywhere for food and does not tire of it. I used to go out to eat with him quite a bit all over and the place you tired when I was younger. <laughs> and then I got tired. I was like, oh, I just want to eat in my neighborhood. Jesus. So while many of us might be getting takeout from a few spots near our houses or cooking all the time, Robert ignored the rules of quarantine and has been eating out constantly. He's finding whatever place is open, trying it, and documenting it. So we're going to talk to Robert about what that experience has been like for him. All right, great. Let's get into it. So, Robert Sietzema, you have been out and about eating up a storm. So can you take us through your experience over the last two months? Sure. It was very hard for me to, uh, to hide myself in my apartment. And I early on figured that it wasn't touching doorknobs, but that it was being in an enclosed space with diseased people that transmitted uh, COVID. So I started doing a lot of bike riding. I hadn't been bike riding for about a year because of my bike accident. And all of a sudden, I was permitted to bike again. And it was <laughs> by just your like family? Oh, yeah. Finally. They finally said, well, I guess it's okay. <laughs> and, um, and, you know... Even at the height of our of the early pandemic, uh, there were still restaurants that remained open somehow. Uh, not for going inside and sitting down and having a leisure me a leisurely meal, 
but several of them realized that they could keep going if they started doing takeout and delivery. And of course, then all of these delivery services moved in. But I never liked delivery services because I felt like you were endangering the people that were doing the delivering Mm -hmm. for not much money for them. And you were also stealing money from the restaurants. Uh, I mean, so it's always good advice to go, if you can, to the restaurant to pick up the food. And I started doing that. I started doing it in the neighborhood because I was frankly going stir crazy. I was particularly concerned about Chinatown Mm -hmm. because Chinatown almost completely closed down out of 200 restaurants total in that neighborhood and the, and you know, it's extensions into the Lower East Side. Uh, There were now five restaurants still open. Wow. Uh, Mm. And it was, it was partly racism, people thinking, oh my God, if I go to Chinatown, I'm going to get COVID. When indeed in Chinatown, everyone I saw who was like a resident there was wearing masks and socially distancing way before everyone else started doing it. And so I started out in Chinatown getting little buns and whatnot. Uh, and I discovered this bizarre phenomenon that the food tasted much better. <laughs> Why do you think that is? The fact of the matter is, you know, all of us like fat and sassy foodies, uh, we, uh, we, we were accustomed to getting whatever we wanted whenever we wanted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were a kind of privileged food class. Uh, you know, not only being able to afford it, because we weren't buying expensive food, we were buying, you know, we were getting little things. Uh, you know, a bologna sandwich or something, and we just took it for granted. But once bologna sandwiches became almost impossible to get, uh, believe it or not, you know, the bodegas were closing down and uh, and the bologna factories, presumably. Uh, <laughs> you know, then there suddenly it was great. So when uh, last week, Gray's Papaya was one of the first of the old hot dog places to open up with those natural skin franks. <laughs> and for those to, who don't know what natural skin is, uh, it, the intestine, it of a, <laughs> intestine of a sheep, and it anyway tastes really good. And so uh, I just got two hot dogs and it just blew me away because I, you know, I'd taken hot dogs for granted my whole life. And if you take hot dogs for granted your whole life and someone takes them away for a couple of months, they become magical. And your body of work often covers the mom and pop restaurants and the restaurants in far flung parts of New York. And I think we hear about those places a little bit less, maybe because they don't have the resources to have PR, maybe because many aren't open. What has that scene looked like to you? Um, It's been total anarchy. Um, You know, the areas I could cover in my bike include wealthy neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods. I mean, I went all the way up to the Upper West Side. I went to Bushwick and I went to Williamsburg. And um, every one of those little restaurants, I mean, they were under more pressure to open than, say, Danny Meyer's restaurants. Mm -hmm. I mean, many of those fancy restaurants have just taken their, bided their time looking for just the right protocols. Whereas uh, the little Mon Pa restaurant, I mean, they may be behind in their rent. They may be having trouble getting, especially personnel. Because a lot of times in those restaurants, people travel from long distances on the subway Mm -hmm. to get to work. And so they had trouble with personnel. They had supply chain problems. But many of these plucky little places, they opened up anyway, uh, offering limited menus, just uh, a phenomenon that we've covered in Eater pretty extensively. 
is the phenomenon of a small restaurant also becoming a grocery store, not only selling off part of its own stock, but acquiring new groceries and especially perishables that were, you know, in some neighborhoods where there are food deserts, the bodega is the place where you get your milk and your margarine and your, even your meat. And those places were really closed. So a restaurant that's suddenly selling, you know, luncheon meats and, and milk and cottage cheese is a valuable resource in a way that they can kind of, uh, you know, deal with the situation. And can you talk about some of the best dishes you've had over the last month? Oh, my God, yes. And one of the great things about this little mini era of a month is that we've gone from having perhaps 3% of the restaurants open to about 40% open in one way or another. Some of them have pushed the law by moving tables out onto the sidewalks and like starting little de facto outdoor uh, dining areas. But uh, to go back to your question, uh, I had a katsudan from Enju, which is a little tiny closet of a space right off of Union Square, run by Japanese people selling Japanese food. And, uh, and it's little home style things like ramen noodles and fried cutlets over rice. And so this katsudan is this incredibly perversely fatty cutlet where you've covered the pork and especially the fat with a thick breading and deep fried it. This sounds like real health food, right? And, uh, and then you, uh, you put it in an omelet with green onions and put it on rice with a kind of sweet, trickly brown sauce. And it's just one of the best things in the world to eat. We had an upscale place, Katsuhama, that served them, a really, you know, elite, an elite version of the dish. But to me, the down and dirty cutlet like mom might have made at home throwing into the greasy pan is so evocative for me. So uh, yeah, I ate that. I ate, I went to look for a dosa and got a dosa, which is a, a South Indian pancake stuffed with potatoes usually. Yeah, and I've just basically been going out on my bike every day. Today I went to a reopened Chinese dumpling shop down on the Lower East Side. And you know, you keep expecting these places to be more expensive. Like wouldn't they char- wouldn't they have to charge twice as much mm-hmm. since they have half the customers that's one problem is that people are staying in their apartments uh, it's not a problem i mean i suppose they're supposed to stay in their apartments but um, you know if you wear a mask and you keep your distance from people i think there's little danger he says hopefully <laughs> of getting covid-19 so um, you know these places they were still selling like 10 dumplings for 4 dollars yeah just and fantastic dumplings, just so much bigger than they needed to be. You know, it's because they have a constituency of people that really can't afford to spend a lot more money on food, but want to, you know, New Yorkers want to eat out all the time anyway. I think it's interesting because there's been a lot of talk about how the the work of a restaurant reviewer is not as relevant right now, but the type of work that you do covering all these small restaurants is actually still very relevant. And you can still go around and discover what's out there and what's open and what's delicious. Yes. An empirical approach. Um, And on top of that, you know, I feel really good about it to begin with. I don't feel like I can be as critical as I used to be. Yeah. You know, I can't like rat out a place because they're uh, you know, because they're, uh, 
sausages are not quite sour enough or something like that, you know, a Thai spot. But um, I can certainly uh, almost promote places, just make people aware of places that are open because many people still don't know that there are a lot of places opening and more every day. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they are staying inside their houses, they're not exploring. So it's nice to have someone who's out there exploring saying, hey, look, all these businesses in Chinatown are selling these great dumplings. And if you ride your bike over there, if it's you know close to you, you can get them. Mm-hmm. A lot of things are available too by these delivery services, you know, yep. whether it's Uber or Seamless or whatever. And people that are down with using those, I have no criticism for them. I mean, everyone has to make their own compromises during this era and decide what their limits are. And for me, the limits were, were not getting delivery and also and also that kind of goes against my Midwestern sensibilities. Mm-hmm served by someone else. I mean, to me, the self-sufficiency suggests that you like do not create a separate class who does nothing but deliver. So anyway. um, (laughs) Have you seen any restaurants doing interesting things with the packaging or with the ways that they're, uh, that they're actually handing food out to be delivered or to be taken out? Um, It has fascinated me the uh, sorts of packaging that they've developed uh, because many forms of food don't travel well. Right, right. Uh, I would argue that no food travels well, but uh, it's, you know, for example, um, I was amazed to hear that Maso was doing that $800 sushi thing. Yeah. You know, because when my friend Gary, he took the photographs, I could just look at it and tell that it was a little tired looking by the time it got home. <laughs> so, um, yeah. you know, for example, I was up in uh, Curry Hill, the little India area of Murray Hill. Yeah. And I was trying to get a dosa because I love dosas. And, um, and I got a dosa and I went five blocks with it and discovered that it was like limp inside the bag. Yeah. I wanted to cry. but steamed itself. I went to get the Peking duck from the Red Farm subsidiary decoy. That was one of the first things I did because it's only a couple blocks from my house. And I was desperate for duck. (laughs) And all of the Chinatown duck shops were closed. I'd ridden past my 10 or so favorite. So I bit the bullet and went to this fancy place and got the duck. And it was just beyond wonderful. Wow. They had put it, to begin with, they gave me a duck with three legs. That's a rare duck. You know, were, these places, they want you to come back. They, they love their customers as never before. It was so good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it came in just like 20 different packages. So, you know, I mean, say your prayers for the landfill because, uh, you know. That, that is, yeah. 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 I actually would like to ask both of you about that because there is, there is something that I feel like we've, Push to the back of our consciousness right now, which is certain things that you get for delivery come with like 95 little Tupperware containers. And I think uh, as as there it seems there are greater problems in the world, it's something that I feel like we could overlook. But you know, sometimes you sit there with a bunch of these things on your countertop and you're like, well, eventually we'll start worrying about this again. I just wish there was a program to return your stuff back to the restaurant because the restaurant then just has to keep buying and buying and buying these Tupperware containers. And I don't want them in certain States. You go to the grocery store, you can't use your reusable bag. You have to use plastic bags. 
It's just ridiculous. <laughs> and we started using plastic bags in New York again. I mean, they had yeah. prohibited them and the date had come when they were going to be prohibited forever. And then all of a sudden COVID came along and now hello, plastic bags. Yeah. Do you, Robert, do you have any, uh, guidelines? Like if people are asking you what, you know, if I do want food, that's going to travel well, do you have anything, uh, any, any practice lines that you're telling people like soups, stews, curries, rice dishes, just avoid the fried from your lips to Serena's ears. I think that, yeah, that's, I think that's a great idea. I'm going to tell her about that. Uh, she's my editor and, uh, <laughs> And yeah, I think that's a great idea for a piece, although I don't want to disallow the other foods. Maybe it's a dirty secret which foods you should completely. <laughs> Maybe it's just a ranking, you know, like everything's delicious, but the doses aren't going to travel as well as something else. Well, I ordered delicious. I ordered delicious fried wings last night and I opened the plastic and it was a rainforest inside. And I mean, it was, they were still good, but. I, it was the wrong decision. Yeah. Well, maybe there are some foods that you should eat out on the sidewalk the minute you get them. <laughs> well, now that the, the weather, the weather is turning and I think that's great advice, uh, because there are a lot of far flung restaurants that I want to try, but until now I hadn't been able to, but now that it's nice out, I can just go ride a bike, sit down, I don't know, on the park bench on the pavement <laughs> Just eat it. Well, this is something that Robert and I have it totally in common. Like we're not willing to sacrifice the caliber of the food for one ounce of uh, dining room improvement. So like yeah. we've done this and I also did this recently. Uh, I, I went to get these burgers from this restaurant that had just released burgers and I ate them outside immediately when I got them on a trash can. Just to, yeah, I think I, now's not the time for dignity. Like, just no. eat the food wherever you can. I mean, Daniel, we've eaten tacos on the subway before. Like, just eat the food wherever you can eat it. Yeah, no, that's Slice true. Pizza. Slice of pizza. I mean, who who sits down and eats a slice of pizza? I mean, my <laughs> my kids right now are playing in those, like, tree stump areas where all the dogs pee because the playgrounds are closed. It's just like, you got to lower your standards. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's I think it's, it's just inspiring to hear a food lover out and about in the world really living life in these times. And I'm so happy to be that person. <laughs> were you catching cuz you were out day 1. I think how long were you really inside? Uh the truth? <laughs> the truth. <laughs> about 24 hours. I've got ants in my pants. I'm like yeah. a hyperactive kid. Well, Robert I am so happy to hear you are out and about and living life. I was very worried <laughs> that the, I don't know, being stuck inside would really get you down. So I'm glad that you're just. What are you glad? That he didn't stay inside? That he just did not listen to any of the advice and that he's just out there. True I was rebel. really worried that staying inside for a long period of time would get you down. So it's good to hear that you didn't stay inside. <laughs> that you just ignored it. I always it. wore my mask. <laughs> All right. Bye, Robert. Thank you. See you soon. Bye-bye. All right, Daniel. I think the biggest development for me in this past week is the recent guidance from the CDC saying that COVID-19 does not spread so easily on contaminated surfaces or animals and that it is primarily spread between people. Spreads easily between people. Yeah. Easily and sustainably between yeah. people. 
which is great if you are getting a lot of takeout and are super paranoid about that. If you are a restaurant owner and worried about all the surfaces that you're sanitizing all the time, I mean, you still have to do it, but you can be, I think, a little less nervous about that aspect yeah. of it. Uh, I mean, listen, like... For anyone who's wiping down their takeout, the CDC says you don't have to worry about that so much anymore. For anyone who's quarantining their mail, <laughs> maybe don't do that anymore. Girl, quarantine your mail. Just don't quarantine that your mail. That was a... You know? Yeah, that was a uh, a man corn. Anyway, okay. Yeah, like yeah, gotcha. Fine. Uh, quarantining your mail. I mean, restaurants restaurants still can't really rest easy because they're a place where people congregate. You, it's not. You know, this isn't going to help them a whole lot, but I think it will put some people at ease. Actually, this is for restaurants. I would say bad news, right? Because well, it's not worse. I think it's worse. X number of Why? virus has spread already, right? It has spread because of X reasons. It seems like surfaces are much more controllable than proximity, right? Like there's not much restaurants can do about proximity. So all right. of this research is leading, is suggesting that all this really is, is about proximity for duration. So I still don't think it's worse though. I mean, you still have the, the problem of people. Proximity was always a problem. Proximity is the only problem. And proximity is yeah. the thing that we want to go away. We want that problem gone because that's not really yeah. a curable problem. Yeah. surfaces we can deal with like we can laminate yeah, yeah. shit and I whatever just, i just don't think it's worse for them it's the same same but like maybe a little better because now you don't have to worry about people nervous about your takeout or people nervous you know, about takeout is a big thing well also like okay every time i go to a restaurant they do that wipe down of the screen yeah is that necessary anymore what do you think that's the whole point is that's not necessary at all they take your credit card with this with the wipe they use the wipe to take your credit card. Yeah, no, like, I, I, I get you know, it. Yeah, like, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, surfaces. Yeah, I get it. And uh, we don't have to worry about that anymore. And I think that's that's great. <laughs> Was I just um, beating a dead horse? <laughs> no, no, no. What else would you like? Anything else surface related? <laughs> but here's, but can we, I think that actually uh, brings up an interesting point, which is, you know, two, three, four weeks ago, I think a lot of people who uh, own restaurants talking on these panels and whatever, um, they were thinking about these really, really dramatic lengths they were going to have to go to to ensure that no one was touching the same thing, right? Yeah. And that's about using new menus every time. Uh, how are we going to like do a good enough job sanitizing every table, uh, maybe giving some time to each table between diners? And another a really interesting one that I heard, uh, which I don't actually think dies with this, is just the idea that Restaurants in the future, or I'm sure they might even exist now, you go in and you scan a QR code on your cell phone and your cell phone becomes the menu in the restaurant. Right, right, right. And there's, I mean... Yeah, now we can have menus again. This is great. Well, we never really lost them, but... In theory, we were going we, to lose them. There was a period of time where we didn't have only menus. chalkboard menus or only disposable menus. We don't have to worry about this whole menu thing what do you think of the idea of your cell phone becoming the menu i mean there's a couple interesting things i think that we can project from that what do you what do you think of though using your cell phone as the menu i mean i i don't love it no i don't i think people have a hard enough time putting away their phone at dinner so i don't love encouraging it what does it say about us but that's the first thing i thought of i don't want yeah. extra incentive to use my phone and then also everyone's kind of like 
hey, are you, are you on your phone right now? Or I thought we were having a night. And they're like, oh, no, I'm just checking yeah. one no, thing. No, I'm just looking. I just, the wine. And that's a really easy excuse that I don't want people to have. Here, Amanda Clute, interesting projection that I have about maybe the future of restaurants. Uh, mm -hmm. It seems like a lot of restaurants moving towards a digital form of a menu is inevitable, right? Because really? Why? Well, there's a lot of uh, opportunity that a digital menu provides you, right? If, if you're out of something, it just gets nixed from the menu. Right. Um, if you want to make a substitution, you can click the thing, see exactly what the list of ingredients are. There's a lot of uh, photos. There's a lot of opportunity that you get from having a digital menu, one of which I think could be variable pricing. Uh, uh huh. What if the cost of beer or the cost of peanuts or the cost of, you know, stir fry of the stir fry is uh, cheaper or more expensive depending on the time that you're sitting there, right? Like the rescue. Yeah, I feel like this is something that maybe those high end tasting menu restaurants experimented with or Resi was trying to look into in the very beginning. Where like a thing costs more based on demand. I mean, it's a, it's a simple economic principle of variable yeah. pricing, most famously used on airline tickets. Sure. But rather than just the tasting menu, I mean, I like happy hour is a version of variable pricing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, totally. But just to have be able to be able to make micro adjustments in the cost of food, depending on on all factors, I think could be an interesting opportunity or at least something that is a scary inevit scary inevitability. I think a lot of the the way we could be moving in this pandemic is taking the art out of restaurants. And yeah. this is another example of that, which would make me kind of sad. It's miserable, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, and now and then we have the variable pricing and the thing is on your phone and everything's just about the metrics and none of it's about the... The hospitality, Daniel. Like we've seen is so many restaurants are able to bring the hospital or are, are able to adapt. I mean, it's of varying levels of silliness, but they're able to adapt and bring the hospitality to whatever thing they're doing. So sure. I don't know. But yeah, I agree. All of these things, all of these things are wrapped up in the romantic idea of restaurants and they are some some are slowly crumbling. So I think we're grasping onto the ones that we still have. And we're going to keep grasping. Yeah. So that reminds me that we should probably hit up the reopening news. Uh, I think one of the big developments this week is Orange County is now open for dine-in service. Mm. So people in L.A. Uh, can quickly drive over to Orange County to have a sit-down meal. Also, Las Vegas is getting pretty close to um, more broad reopening. So bars in Vegas are opening soon. Casinos, I believe the first casinos are going to reopen next week. Yeah. Jeez. Patio dining is opening in D.C. in the Twin Cities. And as we've talked about before, it's just like, you know, it's kind of a free-for-all depending on what state you're in. I think casinos are interesting uh, because buffets are such a big part of casino dining life. Yeah. And that seems like a challenge to me. How are casinos going to keep buffets if they want to keep the buffets? I mean, you've spent a lot of time in Vegas and around the buffets. What's your take? My t I mean, we're seeing a lot of articles online about how the buffet is going to be flipped on its head and it'll still be, quote unquote, a buffet and all you can eat thing. But you're going to be telling a server exactly what you want uh, on your plate. You know, there's that pizza restaurant that's planning to do it where it's like, we're still all you can eat. Uh, but you just tell your server and then they'll go get your slices. Um, I mean, the thing is, like, 
it's it's a sad reality, but like. So you, what do you like? Would you tour the buffet, like walk around, maybe take some notes, and then go back to your server? I think you would be given the opportunity uh, to see what's on the buffet, or else the buffet itself is. What's the point? Is pointless. Yeah. yeah. I bet you know what? I bet they'll ease back into just buffets. I bet we'll just like take some baby steps back into it just being like back to normal. You know, maybe they'll pre-portion everything. You know how in the buffets they pre-portion a lot of the stuff? More of it maybe will be. More, more of that. Right. It won't be the same thing where you'll have clusters of people all waiting to get at the good thing. You know, like they'll probably yeah, yeah, be yeah. social distance stickers at every element. They'll, they'll let, maybe there'll be a line, like there's a line to, to get into the famous buffets now, but that's just, yeah. once you're in, you can do whatever you want. I'm sure right. there will be a line to be in the buffet period. They'll limit the amount of people. that. The, the, yeah, the, like one person at a time in this hot section and yeah. everything is pre-portioned. Yeah, it's, I mean, you're seeing like the ways that they're restricting blackjack and card games and stuff and you like can't touch the cards. Everything's just going to be done for you. You're basically playing in a virtual casino, right? Like the the- sure the physical aspects of everything are being totally removed. And it's just, it's just so it's sad that like, those are one of the first things to be open because like it's, that's, I mean, what, what is the opposite of, of an essential service? You know, a casino. Like, I mean, I think so. I, I get that there are huge, huge amount of jobs wrapped up in them. So like there is the case for the social good that you reopen them, but, but geez, the amount, like, it's just such a sad, sad thing to hear about the work that's going into reopening casinos. Right, right, right. But if you are talking about all these jobs and the economies of important parts of the country right. and native tribes, sure, sure, casinos are an important driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other point you made about uh, Orange County being open and that just being a hop skip away from L.A. to go have some, you know, quality food, quality dinner with your lads it's is that what accent is that That was a hybrid of irish and canadian i think <laughs> okay and it didn't really land either it's for your canadian canadian friends living in la <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> right hey when you're done uh, directing that movie there you want to go over to the oc i hear that uh, the old mexican joints pop back open <laughs> It's a weird thing, like the idea of taking advantage of the lifted restrictions in another zone seems seems so against the point of the whole lockdown. But like, I mean, there are like there are comedians who are launching, who are going to play big venues in Texas, like L.A. based right. comedians doing huge shows in Texas because they can. And it's just like we will find the state that is as open doing the things that we want to do. And that's right. Right. And then take it back to your own state and then go back and be safer <laughs> in your own state. It's such a ridiculous time in this. What do you think? If you were in LA, would you, uh, would you go have a, oh, a meal? Man, I feel like uh, my take is, is mildly controversial because yeah. Right. <laughs> but I also see why places are opening in different ways because the risks are literally different in different areas. You know, like there are some states where they have not had a lot of cases and are pretty low risk for getting a lot of cases. And there are some areas where they're going to get tons of cases. Yeah. And it's more dangerous to open up. Yeah. Also, I'm biased because I've had it. Yeah. So I feel like I can go anywhere. But yeah. like, it's not cool. It's not cool to say that. All right, Amanda, let's uh, we're getting, you know, wrapping up time. But uh, there's been a lot of conversations this week 
last week, a lot of traction on social media about a major reopening in Denmark. You know, one of the world's great restaurants, Noma, uh, reopened and well, Copenhagen, um, is basically fully open right now there. I think they have zero they're, they're not, there are no new cases there. Um, uh-huh. the city is effectively open and, and Noma has pivoted their ex- expensive, long tasting menu, which I'm sure is fun. Um, to a wine bar and they have this burger they you know the noma burger that has caught a lot of caught a lot of press a lot of grammars i mean i'm of two minds about this burger you know tell tell us yeah what's what are you what are you feeling first of all on what you know look this gets back to a thing that i'm constantly thinking about which is like yeah it's tragic everything that's happening is really sad having said that it's really awesome that some of the best chefs in the world are making more accessible foods, right? Like Mm. I don't, I love burgers. I have complicated feelings about meat. I don't love that we use so much meat. I don't love factory farm meat. I would be interested in seeing every chef in the world's take on the burger. Like, hell yeah. Right. That's like the theme of this, um, event at the South beach wine and food festival that they throw every year. And the New York wine and food festival, it's called the, it's called the, Burger Bash. It's I've like been to, two, uh, listen, I've been to the Burger you've been, Bash. Yeah, it's $250. Okay. It's, it's just a bunch different. of the best chefs. Okay, it's different. I'm it's not saying, different. I'm it's not saying, this, you're not saying it's That's exactly what you just asked for, is the world's greatest chefs all making burgers. Uh, well. Okay. Put them on a beach and you have your a event. You should just go. A few assumptions here. Mm-hmm. A, the, a, that that's the setting I would want to have it on. <laughs> Mini little things, dinky little things with fucking plastic wine glasses where everyone's wearing name tags and you're like, and you're just walking around trying all of them. Okay. Uh-huh. Assumption one, don't want that at all. That's not how I want my burger experience. Assumption two is that the world's greatest chefs are there. Whatever. Okay. I'm Rene saying Rizzepi, it's an approximation Rene 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 <laughs> is not at the New York City Wine and Food Festival. Here's what ever, I will say. All right. But having been to that event, it does inform my opinion on what you're talking about, which is, eh, like, do I need all these chef's takes on a burger? No, uh, there's not that much to do with a burger and I don't need the best chefs in the world making them. Okay. But the New York city wine and food festival has absolutely nothing to do with my interest in chefs trying a burger. I'm just saying I, I it sounds, that. it sounds great. And then you're like, Oh, right. I can actually make a great burger. Sure. Although I'm sure even when someone was like, hey, want to go to the New York City Wine and Food Festival Burger Bash? You weren't like, that sounds great. No, I think I was excited by it. And then I went, we can have different opinions no, about burgers. We, we don't. This, the fact <laughs> yes, that you are, the fact that you, the fact that you were like, you know, disillusioned or whatever by the New York City Wine Fed, it doesn't matter. Okay, let's move on from the New York City Wine and Food Festival. The point is. I'm just saying. You're imagining a world where all the best chefs will make a burger. Yeah, it's not and I've been too far and I've been to the New York City Wine and Food Festival. From this and event. when I do this thing where I imagine all the best chefs in the world making a burger, it's not the New York City Wine and Food Festival. Right, it's like in their fancy restaurants. Yeah, and then is it that much better than it's not, the perfect listen, burger that you can make at home? And is it that much better than the food that they are known for making that actually challenges them? in more interesting ways. Okay. I, I think that the interesting thing about it is the burger is something that is, is one of the simplest foods. So any mar, any slight adjustment makes a huge difference. Like we understand the vehicle so intimately that it is a, 
micro adjustments are an opportunity to display, you know, worlds of creativity or w- not worlds of creativity, but worlds of point of view. Okay, that's it. Okay, but also burgers are great. Um, I don't even know how the hell we got down on this thing. It's <laughs> You're fine. just so psyched that Renee Rizepi's making a burger. I just wanted to know how you felt about it. Okay. Now you know. <laughs> All right, Amanda, we got to get out of here. Uh, this was a blast, as always. What a, you know, light, kind of lighthearted. Uh, great. Sure. Thank you so much try. to Robert Sietzma for being out there in the world and reporting from the streets of New York City. Uh, thanks to you for being here, and thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll be back next week with something else. Oh, please share and pass the episode to a friend and give us five stars and, uh, you know, all those good things and email us at digest.eater.com.